inventors and their inventions. Welcome to Radio Cade, a podcast from the Cade Museum for Creativity and Invention in Gainesville, Florida. The museum is named after James Robert Cade, who invented Gatorade in 1965. My name is Richard Miles. We'll introduce you to inventors and the things that motivate them. We'll learn about their personal stories, how their inventions work, and how their ideas get from the laboratory to the marketplace. Spying on trees, what are they doing out there? Turns out if you pair a drone with artificial intelligence, you'll find out all their secrets. I'm your host of Radio K. Today, my guests are Dr. Giannis Ampetsidis and Matt Donovan of Agriview, a 2020 Cade Prize finalist. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. Thank you, Richard. Thank you, Richard. Thank you for having us. So first of all, I have to confess that I'm a sucker for any topic that has the word drone in it. My wife got me a little drone a few years ago, and I have to become highly proficient in wasting lots of my time taking pictures, pretty much nothing. But they're pictures from a thousand feet, so it's cool, right? I'm guessing you all have to be slightly more productive with your time and the technology. So why don't we start, Giannis, if you could describe for us what the core product of AgriView is, which as I understand it, marries drones with artificial intelligence to take lots of pictures of trees. So why don't we just start out why trees? What do those pictures tell you? And more importantly, what does it tell the person growing the trees who presumably is going to buy this product? Sure. Yeah, that's a really good question. First of all, let me start from uh, the beginning of the um, AgroView. So there's some tools. So AgroView is a cloud-based application. So actually, it's like a software that analyzes and visualizes uh, images from drones, but also for ground-based sensing systems. So why we develop AgroView for tree crops and vegetables is because we identify that there's a um, gap. There are not so many tools and solutions for specialty crops, like tree crops and vegetables regarding on drones. And the, the main idea here is to convert the data that we collect to information, to some kind of practical information, useful information that the growers, the managers can use. There are some tools for row crops like wheat, soybean, cotton, but very limited solutions are available for specialty crops. That's why we develop AgroView. And again, the main goal is to convert data, for example, images that we collect from drones to information, to something that we can really use. So the real secret sauce here is the AI, right? Because obviously drones have been around a while, UAVs have been around and under development and getting rapidly better since the 90s. And I've heard about all these potential applications, including agriculture, and never thought exactly how is that going to work. So Matt, is this sort of the first time or you are the first company to actually take the idea of using AI algorithms? You have these images, which we've been able to get for a long time, and actually, as Giannis said, do something practical with them. Well, I think, as Giannis mentioned, in some of the more popular crop or or more attended crops like corn or wheat, there have been utilizations of this. But in the specialty crop market like citrus, almonds, like specialty tree fruit crops, not so much. And that lack of attention of providing AI tools is really the gap that Giannis mentioned before. So while we're not the first to try it, I think in the specialty crop market, we're the first to really prove that what the aggregate view platform does. Giannis and his team have actually gone through the large-scale commercial test 
It's not a lab specific. It's not a controlled environment. And they've published openly the results that AgriView achieves. And that's something that's novel and unique about the AgriView platform is that it's really gone through the scientific rigor that a lot of products will make claims that often they can't prove. So in that respect, we look at it as the first platform that's proven the ability to to take data from a drone, but also to take data from ground sensing systems and then have the AI sort of crunch everything together. And as Diana said, to take multiple layers of data, but then produce a valuable piece of information, which the grower can then use to take action on and ultimately starts to get into the business impact. That information then turns into actionable intelligence, as it were. And hence, our agriculture intelligence, the name of the company had come about is to have AgroView create actionable intelligence that makes a business impact. But something else that's a grander vision of Giannis is to start making impacts to the ecosystems that are around the growing environment and the environment in a longer view and in a more grand scale to create sustainability in those growing regions. So one thing that impressed me when I watched the video of AgriView and the product that you have in the market is just merely knowing how many trees, say citrus trees, for example, you have is a valuable piece of information to get, I guess, crop insurance for a number of different reasons and to know where your gaps are, where you might have a row of trees that aren't doing well. But AgriView does more than that, right? I mean, it doesn't just count trees and say, okay, you're missing four trees here or three trees there. There are other things that you capture about the health of the crop itself or that how the plant is doing that I guess affects decisions on fertilizing or whatever. So Giannis, how does that work? You mentioned ground sensors as well. In order for this to work to its maximum capability, you're pairing a UAV with cameras. And are you also then deploying an array of ground sensors so you can capture other data like how tall the crop is or how healthy it is? Is, is that how it works? So within drone, we can collect a lot of information. As you said, We can count crops, plants, which is very important. We can detect gaps and count gaps and also develop a stress index. And we can also estimate plant nutrient concentration, which is very important for a precision fertilizer application. And that's using the UAV imagery, Richard. Yeah, the UAV spectral data, which we really collect from a multispectral camera imaging. So doing that, you develop these maps that they have different zones with different colors. And these maps, they can be applicable or they can be used by precision variable rate fertilizers. And that means there's a variability in the field. So you don't need to apply the same chemicals, the same inputs in general, it can be anything else, can be water to the crops, but you apply based on the need. And this is where the savings comes. And this is how we can also try to reduce any negative environmental impact. So we apply, in this case, fertilizers as needed to the specific areas. We can even go down to the plant level. This is what we do with drone images. Mm-hmm. But on the same time, we can analyze data collected from, for example, sprayers and fertilizers that we are developing new smart technologies sprayers and fertilizers that at the same time that they spray, they collect data that we convert again to information. An example can be, we can also detect and count trees, but also assess tree health that can be connected with the data collected from drones. And all this information can be used also for yield prediction, which is a very important task for logistic purposes. 
So the drone imagery is an input into AgroView. The application map is an output from AgroView into the field for sprayers. But when the sprayers are spraying, we equip smart sprayers with additional data collection items that then become inputs that creates a richer and more detailed set of inputs for the AgroView system to assess, which makes it much smarter And the amount of data that we start to look at as inputs coming into AgriView that the artificial intelligence algorithm is dealing with starts to be massive. But that's the whole point. Precision agriculture is making that impact of taking those individual units of data, whether they come from a drone or they come from collecting from the sprayer, which is a nice dual use, right? It's an output from AgriView, but we also utilize it as a smart opportunity for us to collect more information to then provide additional details for the AI to assess. And it creates a richer set of information moving forward. And it builds and builds and builds. It goes from 2D in the air to 3D on the ground. And the collection of that data over time gives us a 4D view over the course of time that really sets AgriView apart. So that's really kind of the beauty of AI, right? It's not like you have a bunch of smart coders, they write a great program, and then it has to be constantly updated by smart coders. The AI kind of gets smarter on its own just because you're getting this massive inputs of different types of data and you're combining it into a solution. Terrific point. It's almost a fully automated platform in that sense. So several months ago, I talked to the president of the National 4-H Council, and she was telling me the history of agricultural technology goes way back to really Abraham Lincoln, who founded the land-grant college system and as a requirement made the sharing of agricultural technology widespread. And one of the great results of that is that farmers have generally always been early adopters of technology because they recognize the value right away (laughs) because it affects their costs, it affects their ability to successfully harvest crops and so on. Matt, maybe you can take this. What sort of reaction have you gotten from, I'm sorry, I just got to use the pun, from farmers outstanding in their field? Are they reacting to this like, oh, this is great? Or do they still have questions or a little bit of skepticism? Are there cost issues involved? Is this an intense capital investment, say, in AgriView or similar technologies? Or what kind of feedback are you getting from them? Well, the farmers are certainly looking for the proof. They are adopters, but as a customer persona, if you will, they're very much proof in hand. And certainly Giannis works directly with a a lot of growers who have seen the AgriView system and can give you some feedback. I think from a market perspective, they're looking for proof. They will adopt. The AgriView system itself is in keeping with a lot of the way that their products are priced on a per acre basis. So we've adopted kind of the norm of what they follow with pricing to try to show them that value. So far, there's a little bit of wanting to calibrate what AgriView is able to produce using UAV imagery or ground collected data with what they already know. The beauty of the system actually in that large scale, scientifically proven test was a commercial plot. And it was ground truth by Giannis and the team. The published paper that was done took into account the ground reality, often referred to as ground truthing methods, to compare it to what the UAV collected images were. So what we're finding is if the growers give us the chance, uh, we can show them that the data that's collected via the drone alone is very comparable to the information they see on the ground and in the palm of their hand, as it were. Lots of work to go, but that's what we've seen so far. And the good news is the algorithm 
is very accurate with regards to that. So I think what they, they're seeing out of the Agriview system pairs up nicely with this sort of healthy skepticism of should I adopt and get these promised cost savings. And the reality is, is very positive results, but also with a pinch of making sure that they are putting money into an advanced technology that's going to be as good as what they can see and, and feel on the ground. They're very intuitive. The data element is actually something that I think really is an added element for them because growers are extraordinarily intuitive about what's going on in their fields. But that data element, I believe, is, is the gap that we're really filling in the market. So that's a really good point, Matt. And give me a feel for what, in best case scenario, if a grower adopts a technology, uses it correctly, there are no malfunctions, what are the potential cost savings to them? And I guess as a corollary of that question, what's the next best alternative? Because as you said, growers have a highly intuitive sense of how their crops are doing. What would prevent a skeptical grower from saying like, look, this looks really cool and snazzy, but you know, honestly, I can get in my truck and in an hour drive around my fields and get the same info what are the magnitude of cost savings? Obviously, that would take a lot of time driving around and doing it in person. What is your value proposition in a best case scenario? So let me break it into sort of three components. One is, is that these tree counts are critically important for a lot of decisions that they will make. But tree count is also a regulatory requirement. In order for a grower, like a citrus grower, for example, to get crop insurance through the USDA, they have to do an inventory. And so right now, the current method of trying to count trees is a couple of dudes jump in a truck an old dusty truck, probably with no air conditioning and a couple clickers like handheld clickers. And they drive up and down each of the rows, clicking on the right, clicking on the left. Now, as far as that process or method is used, it's extraordinarily error prone. A hot summer in Florida to try to keep your concentration in a hot, humid orange grove in Florida in the middle of the summer is not an easy task. Um, and it's also very carbon heavy, which gets into the environmental impact. But from a practical perspective, a thousand acres of survey manually costs $15,000 and takes four to six weeks. From the AgriView's perspective, we're in and out of that same thousand acres in two or three days. No truck touches any of the inner parts of the grove, so it's carbon neutral, and the information is so much more accurate. So just on the tree count alone, we have proven 99 plus percent accuracy. So just on the practical side of getting insurance and account, that piece of it is there. Of course, the health statistics, the height of the tree, the canopy, the stress, and the overall health of the tree goes towards a much richer mosaic of information for the grower there. And then the decision between the tree count and the health qualifications, if you will, starts to factor in what they're considering potential yield. But the tree count and its accuracy becomes so important to any formula that they're using. It's a highly weighted variable. I mean, plug in the wrong tree count and into whatever estimating formula that they're using, whatever method that they might be using, tree count can throw off what they may think is coming at harvest by a lot. One degree off now means way off in the future. 
The nutrient analysis is probably the biggest impact. And that's something that on a qualified costs, the AgriView system is going to just absolutely make something that's 90% less in call. I mean, it's massive savings. And the methodology for us to do nutrient analysis is so comprehensive because it accounts for the whole field, which right now they utilize a very expensive lengthy time process to collect leaf samples, send it off to the laboratory. Again, us flying for a thousand acres in two days is what takes weeks and weeks and tens of thousands of dollars just to render the information that the AgriView system can produce within 48 to 72 hours. Wow, that's quite impressive. Giannis, are there any technical limitations in terms of other types of applications that this could be used for? Like, for instance, right now you're going after specialty crops uh, like citrus trees, for instance. Could this be used for cattle, for instance? I had a guest on a couple of weeks ago talking about the next generation of beyond visual line of sight UAVs that can travel much farther distances. And could a, a Texas cattle rancher who has a gazillion acres and thousands of heads of cattle could eventually this sort of technology be used for them to keep track of the cattle and the health of the cattle and so on? Or, or is this really limited to stationary crops? Yeah, that's a really good question. Before I answer this one, let me emphasize a little bit with the tree count. And I just want to make clear here that this is very important, especially for Florida. Because of citrus greening, growers had to remove a lot of dead trees. That's why they don't really know how many trees they have in specific blocks. Before it was easier, let me put it that way. You know that you have maybe 10 acres, you planted 160, let's say, trees per acre, so you can estimate. But now with greening, citrus greening, you might have 50% of them may be gaps. So there'll be trees that they had to remove, right? So this is also another potential there. You need to know how many gaps you have in order if you want to replant. So how many trees you need to, to order from a, a nursery. So that's why the tree detection is our first task. Different AI models is not just a simple AI. I usually say that it has different levels of intelligence. So going back to your question, you are totally right. What we try to do with other crops like tomatoes, squash, watermelon, we even try to detect diseases at the early stage, early disease development stage, which is the most critical. So to detect a disease with no visual symptoms on very small symptoms. This is the critical step. I know that a lot of growers spray proactively just to be sure that there will be no infection, but sometimes there are infections, there are diseases. So if you detect that at the early stage, you can save a lot of money, you can control, you take the best management tactics, and then you can control the disease before that spreads throughout the field. That can save you a lot of money. We've seen examples that uh, a disease can totally destroy the entire crop. So now about the cattle, we can do something similar, like how we develop AI-based models to detect diseases in crops. We can do something similar with livestock. Using drones, using ground-based sensing systems, we can first of all identify individual animal and then collect some information. And actually we have a different project that we develop wearable devices, smart devices to collect information from individual animal. It can be a horse, it can be a cattle. So 
connecting that with, as you said, drone imaging, it can really help and you can develop a fully automated system again, like AgroView, that analyze all the data because the beauty actually comes from there. We can collect huge amount of data, but what you really do with the data is the important part. Right. In this case, if you have imagine like hundreds of thousands of images, this is the big data issue, right? That's why you need big data analytics. That's why you need AI. It's very difficult for a human brain to understand and analyze big data. But using AI, you can simplify and automate this process. And you can have the critical information at the end, let's say it's a disease detection or something like that, in almost in real time or in near real time. And this is the goal right now. This is where we're going. We're not going to stay only for, let's say, crops, but we're developing similar technologies for livestock in general. That's really fascinating. I mean, as you said, the problem no longer really is the ability to collect data. We have all sorts of ways we can collect data. It's what do you do with the data and the masses of data that you're going to get and turn that into something very useful. I'm glad to hear that you are looking at livestock. Just one story of the world we live in now. We have a goofy little cat who just would disappear all the time. So we finally got him a pet tracker, right? Way too big for him. It's made for a dog. It looks kind of ridiculous. But it turns out when we went live with this, the first time we got it, It was hilarious because our son was in the Navy out in Guam and our daughter was in Hawaii working in a hotel out there. And the night it went live, we all were watching from around the world. What's this cat going to do? It was going about 11 or 12 miles a day. I mean, just all over the place. And we could see where he was in the neighborhood. And so (laughs) I'm sure you're going to go after more than just a cat market. Cattle is much more lucrative than house cats. But, you know, I had to step back and go, this is amazing that people scattered around the world can all look at where this little house cat is going and imagine now what you can do with information wearables for livestock and collecting, obviously, much more than just their location, all sorts of metrics on their health and so on. What really points to the name AgroView really comes from all of the precision agriculture you need in one view. So like you and your family watching your cat (laughs) would be akin to whether it's a grower or a livestock operation to be able to see that information in one view, that is what the AgriView system is, as Yana said, trying to crunch through all that data and then present it in the case of most of this, which is kind of a map-driven view, a map-driven interface that you can get those stats 11 miles a day that your cat was going, probably might've been accompanied by a little map if it had it, if all of its little travels. So again, it's simplifying massive data into a very understandable view that can be seen by not just you and your four families, family members, but it could be multiple team members of the farm operation. All of them can have access to it the same way that you don't have to be in the same place, but that data is provided in one view, the agro view, as it were. So one of the things we find really interesting on Radio Cade is I always like to kind of know a little bit about the background of the inventors and entrepreneurs that we talk to, because they've all have very interesting paths to the invention or the business. So Giannis, let's start with you. You're currently an assistant professor at the University of Florida Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences, otherwise known as IFAS, but you're originally from Greece and you moved to the United States about 10 years ago. You know, I'm just curious, what were your first impressions of the United States? Uh, you just want to turn around, and go home. And then after that, how did you make your way to study? agriculture? I moved in the U.S. in 2010. I was at the Washington State University. So I had an opportunity to join a team, a really good team as a postdoc research associate. And at the beginning, I needed some time to readjust. It was a totally different lifestyle, but I love it. 
and I like the team. And we work also developing precision ag technologies. And I like the culture here and the connection between the universities and the industry. I really enjoy to develop technologies through applied research and develop new technologies that someone can really use. So after that, I moved to California. I was there assistant and associate professor at the engineering department at the Cal State System. In 2017, I moved at the University of Florida at the Agriculture and Biological Engineering Department as an assistant professor. And here, uh, in all these three states, I work with specialty crops, so three crops and vegetables. Here, I really love my job. I think we have a lot of opportunities to develop new smart technologies, and especially utilizing AI. So um, overall, I'm super happy here. I enjoy my job and um, I love it. So no complaints at all. And Yas, did this run in the family? Were your parents involved in agriculture at all in any capacity? Yeah, my grandparents, for example, they were farmers. My father is not a farmer, but he also likes to grow grapes, make wine. So I grew up in a small family. I always liked also engineering, let's say. I like to build stuff. And these two came together. So that's why ag engineering. So it sounds like from an early age, you kind of had a fascination with the idea of growing things and studying that. Or was there a particular moment that you remember in school that you're like, wow, this is really cool. I want to know more about this. I would say that was mostly building or developing things. I remember even when I was like five, seven, ten, any project that I had to build something, it was like really something that I enjoyed. So starting from there... Then I like mathematics, programming, and that made it very easy for me to follow this path. And of course, as I grew up, I knew about agriculture. It's very important. We need food. We cannot live without food. So we can't live without wine either, Giannis. <laughs> That's true, especially the Greeks. Mm-hmm. So Matt, let's turn to you. You come from a different background. You're currently the CEO of Agricultural Intelligence, which is a company that is taking AgriView to market. And you come mostly from a business background, but tell us about your path. Where were you born and raised and how did you get into the business arena? Well, I'm a native Floridian. I was born in South Florida. I was raised in the West Palm Beach area. I lived there for the majority of my young life. And after I got married and had a job opportunity, I moved to Gainesville, Florida, where I reside today. I had grown up in a small business. My father ran a a small business. So as much as growing wine or grapes and tending to crops might have come somewhat through Giannis's background, mine was more of growing up in a family that ran a business. I went to the standard things. I graduated college, started working in the corporate world and got married and found a place to live here in Gainesville, Florida. So I'm a native Floridian and got involved in various corporate work. And after a decent career doing that, I, I started my own management consulting company. And after I was doing a management consulting engagement, I came up with an idea for a piece of software. And so I wrote the piece of software myself and it became a a part of the telecommunications area. And I ran that company for 15 years and I am now lacking the coding skills required. But thankfully, folks like Giannis are much more talented in, in those areas. So that's my side of bringing in some healthy background as an entrepreneur and the corporate work that I've got to try to lead the business side of agriculture intelligence and bring an agri to market. 
Sounds like a great partnership that you have going and perfect segue to talk about where you are now as a company. You've made a lot of progress, it seems like, in the last year. In addition to becoming a Cade Prize finalist, you're one of the outstanding entries that we had this year. You've gotten a number of other awards and recognitions. Where are you as a company right now and what are your next steps? For instance, how many employees do you have and are you raising money? Or Give us a snapshot of where you are in the life cycle of agricultural intelligence and AgriView as a product. Yeah, as a product, we're kind of that pre-revenue, just starting to accumulate some sales. As I mentioned before, the growers are still vetting and calibrating the technology and trying to adopt that. We're competing for several larger contracts, which will be good for growth, the natural revenue growth. But we are seeking funding still. Officially, there's a small team of four that are mostly oriented around moving the product forward and sales So it's a relatively small team, but we're looking to rapidly grow over the next year. So any healthy investors that want to do a proven product, we're out here to have a conversation with. Well, I can tell you one story you probably will enjoy. It was about probably a little over 10 years ago, a company similar to yours, they were in the software space, but in healthcare, four employees in the same building you're in right now, Matt, in the Innovation Hub. They've done very, very well, and they're getting ready to have a very successful exit very, very soon. So I've seen it happen. It can be done for sure. Along those lines, I'd like to ask both of you, you've got enough experience under your belts now in taking this idea as far as you have. You're not done yet. You're still in the middle of the journey. But the legions of other researchers and entrepreneurs out there, what sort of advice would you dispense at this point to them? Like, for instance, are there any mistakes that you've made that you think, you know, I wish somebody had told me about this or why didn't somebody warn me about this particular obstacle that I might encounter? So, Giannis, why don't we start with you? Any regrets or any wisdom or advice you would dispense to maybe someone about a decade behind you wanting to do the same thing? Sure. I, I had another startup at the Western State University. We had a really good idea. And actually, the, the growers tried to motivate us to commercialize the technology that we developed and offer it as a service to the growers. Something similar happened with AgroView. The mistake was that we thought, two of us actually, that we can also run the company. We have our day jobs that as a professor or researchers, And we thought that, okay, maybe at the same time we can build and run the company. That was a huge mistake. Didn't have the time. Sometimes we didn't even have the time to answer calls or emails. This time I was like, no, I'm not going to make this mistake. I need to find a great guy who ran really the company, a good CEO. And I was very lucky to meet with Matt. So I think, yeah, that was one of the mistakes that I will never forget. We cannot do everything, so we need to identify what our skills, what our capabilities, and then partner with others. It's a valuable mistake and a valuable lesson to learn, and it actually occurs more often than you would think. Researchers thinking like, well, how hard can it be to take this idea to market? Because it's a great idea, and almost invariably, it is a great idea. But that getting it to market and getting it capitalized and so on is is tough road, and a, a lot of people don't make it. Matt, how about you? You're in the business world by definition, just sort of their winners or losers or ups and downs. Tell us a little bit about what lessons you've learned. I think the list of mistakes that I've made is so much greater than than that. I would just actually focus on something. When I was in the corporate world, I was lucky to have someone who mentored me. And of the various lessons as sort of a younger business person was something that my mentor said was contribute every day. 
find a way to make a contribution. Sometimes it's to yourself, but if you're contributing, you're often making something actionable that's tied to someone else's goals. And often you don't realize it when you're younger, contributing to others' goals are actually the most important thing you can do to achieving the overall goals. And ultimately, any organization, any product, every company is comprised of people, the actions they take. And those two things are are normally something that every single day you need to contribute to. So I sort of took that on as a, a life lesson that I believe helped me maybe avoid more mistakes than I would have made otherwise. And occasionally I look for those nice days where making that contribution every single day and the discipline of trying to contribute every day kind of adds up over time. And the old saying is it's a marathon, not a sprint. And making a contribution is literally each step you take in that marathon. So make a contribution every day, some way, find a way to make a contribution and keep going. That's the essence of it. That's great advice. Giannis and Matt, you guys are doing great. I want to congratulate you again for the success you've had so far. You do have a great idea. I do think you will succeed because I think you've done a lot of thinking about this and where the need is and how this is going to be used. So I look forward to having you back on your show after you've had your half billion dollar exit or whatever whatever it's going to be. How about when you do your IPO, right? We'll have you back on the show and you can tell us some more lessons, but I want to thank you both for your time and wish you the best of luck. Thank you, Richard. Thank you, Lisa. Radio Cade is produced by the Cade Museum for Creativity and Invention, located in Gainesville, Florida. Richard Miles is the podcast host, and Ellie Tom coordinates inventor interviews. Podcasts are recorded at Hardwood Soundstage and edited and mixed by Bob McPeak. The Radio Cade theme song was produced and performed by Tracy Collins and features violinist Jacob Lawson.